Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Uh, Mrs. Dahlkepper, glad to have you back on the Joel Natale Show. Oh, great to be with you on the show, not just at my press event. So it's great to be with you. Yeah, I appreciate you're wearing your green. Any uh, significance of that today or? Yeah, just, you know, I like to be uh, bright when I can with my colors. You know, I do yeah. love color. I can tell you that. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, let, let's get right to it here because we're seeing a jump in coronavirus cases. You have a daily meeting. What are you hearing from the County Health Department about what, what this is all about? Where is this coming from? So our numbers have trended uh, younger in terms of age. Um, we know that we've had some outbreaks, I'll say clusters, not really outbreaks so much, but clusters in the college settings. Um, I think our universities have done a really good job compared to many other schools across the nation. But it's difficult when you have uh, students living, you know, we in congregate type care, you know, they're living in dorms or they're congregating uh, in ways that, you know, we all did at that age. Sure. And it's a very difficult time for students. So that's been one of the one of the areas. We've also seen um, some issues with the sports, uh, whether it be a school sponsored sport or a club sport. Uh, sometimes it's gone through from coaches, players, uh, other people that are involved directly with those teams. And then, of course, uh, it eventually gets home. And we've also seen some clusters in families. And it's I don't mean families like extended, but the people who live in the same house. So oh, really? Yeah. So it's hard, of course, you know, we ask people, you have COVID-19, you need to be isolated in your own home. You need to stay completely away from anyone else, your spouse, your children. Um, And that's a very difficult thing for some people to be able to do because of just maybe the configuration of their home um, or maybe they have to take care of their children. So it's there's a lot of uh, factors into that. So so uh, so it's kind of that's why a lot of this is kind of happening in the more suburb area, uh, whereas the you know the narrative was the closer you live together, the the higher the uh, the density, if you will, the easier that COVID was spreading. I mean, I'm sure we still have a little bit of that, but now it's it's more broad based, right? It's definitely more broad based across the whole county. Um, we have seen some numbers uptick in uh, the city of Erie, but again, I think those are because we have two colleges out of three that right. are in session. Yeah. You know, Enbro's not really in session. They have very few students on campus. So uh, most of the students from Enbro and Mercers live in the city of Erie. But, uh, but it ha- actually, as you see, the sports piece, that's definitely uh, more widespread throughout the whole county. Is it any solace that there's nearly nobody in the hospital because of COVID-19? Right now we have about four people in the hospital. Because the numbers are young. Yeah. Um, and I hope that we don't see that uptick a couple of weeks from now. Sometimes that's what will happen is you got the young people and then they may affect, infect someone who's a little bit older and then maybe somebody even older than that. So that's what we want to obviously try to avoid. And we know that if a healthcare worker who works in a congregate setting, such as a nursing home, um, inadvertently takes it in there because they're asymptomatic, that's when it becomes devastating. You know, you have a really good take on your risk mitigation level, I think. So how are you approaching the holidays? What's your plan? You know, it's funny you asked us. We've been talking about this for the last few days with our family. And um, and my one daughter said, well, we could still try to have Thanksgiving sort of outside. Um, we have- <laughs> <laughs> Has she and, been here uh, for Thanksgiving sometimes? <laughs> 
in a bar and we were trying to <laughs> right think of okay where we there could have, there you go we trying to think of where we could have it where we would be covered and you know you could open the doors and windows and sure so uh my family we are really thinking this through i have a i actually have a daughter who's pregnant and due in january we're all thinking we have to be extremely cautious because yeah. it's um more difficult for somebody who is pregnant in their last trimester that's when it's most dangerous so um you know it's it's these are difficult conversations to have and ways to figure it out and then of course my children have two families right their spouse's family and our family so if you even did try to get together now you're bringing who are they with on the other side of their family and so family gatherings are going to be very different and i think much smaller and that's uh the way it's going to be i mean somebody in my office was saying that she was talking to her family well maybe we don't get together for thanksgiving dinner maybe we just gather somewhere and have a nice family walk you know, mm-hmm. um, that we get out and we we see each other, but we don't sit down and have a meal together. We do that in our own individual homes. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's no uh, turkey trot, right? I mean, I mean, you think about you know, yeah. ten thousand people make your own family, make your own family turkey trot, right? <laughs> and just yeah. do it. <laughs> wow. But we all know you're safer when you're outside. That's it. Um, and and this is the fear as we as it gets colder and we all start to move inside. What does that mean for the spread of COVID nineteen? And if we don't go back to being uh, more with just our uh, family that lives in the same home with us, that's where the trouble becomes. I was at a, a wedding at the convention center, but it was outside in that anchor plaza in the convention center authority you know the folks there did such a great job of just keeping everybody distant you know mask wearing was was asked for and uh, it just it just seemed like if you're going to try to do a wedding in this period this was about the safest way that you could do it you know um yeah i was on the phone earlier today with um the person who leads the wilderness wildcats it's a cross-country ski um, group out at Wilderness Lodge in, near the Wattsburg area. And actually, we take my grandchildren out every year and do that. And he called me to say they want to do it again. And it's probably a very, very safe activity to do. But normally, there would be this room where everybody would come in to gather and mm. they come in at the end for snack and they're going to eliminate all of that and just stay outside. The kids will change their boots in their parents' car. So these are the kind of things that they're looking at doing differently. And we all need to think about that. Like, how can we do the things we still love but do it differently. And a family gathering might have to be more on Zoom. Uh, I guess you could Zoom all the different family dinners happening in different homes. You know, there's been a a politicization of this virus, you know, meaning, you know, how many people approach the virus uh, mitigation is often dictated by their politics. Uh, Weigh in on that a little bit. I I find it so sad um, because this is about a virus. You know, no one caused this virus. It's, uh, you know, we, we get colds, we get the flu, we get other viruses, um, and we don't politicize it like this. So uh, the fact that it became politicized and has caused people to take sides on whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask, whether to stay home or not stay home, um, and to, uh, it's just, to me, it's very, very sad. It's, it, it, it's a very sad statement about where our country's at, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you think that President Trump contracting the virus has helped or hurt, you know, the, all of the efforts that you guys are doing at the Department of Health and at the county itself? I mean, well, is, I is it that awareness helping things? I don't know if it's helped or not, but I, it, obviously if people looked at the event of the Rose Garden and some of the other things that happened, no one was wearing a mask. So hopefully that helped to prove the fact that if we wear a mask, it could actually mitigate the spread. Um, 
And I'll tell you, I have seen more mass, I think, recently. Maybe that's my imagination. But I, I you know, my general observation is that there are more masks being worn. Um, our children, I think, have gone to school, the ones that are back in school, and they've just become accustomed to wearing a mask. I was down in Frontier Park yesterday. My grandson was, uh, was in first grade running cross country. And I was so pleased. Parents, coaches, kids, everybody pretty much. I mean, I could have probably counted on two hands the people that didn't have a mask on within a very fairly large group of people that had gathered and um, kids took off. Many of them still wore their masks all the way around the course. Um, you don't really need to wear your mask when you're running, but have it on when you start, right mm -hmm. before you start, take it off, run, put it back on as soon as you're done. And actually running, we know it'd be pretty low risk. So uh, I'm ha happy to see that. And I'm hoping that um, people saw the folly of not having masks at that particular event and not being socially distant and maybe took heed. Well, you know, again, when you consider that this has been major behavior modification for a country like ours, it is remarkable to see, and, and again, you have to hand it to some of the private concerns. You have to hand it to the big box stores and say, hey, you don't get to come into my Home Depot without the mask. I mean, it's, it is, so people are compliant, and maybe they don't wear it perfectly or whatever, but you know, it's not a perfect device anyway. I was describing, uh, I, I was in a meeting last night with my mask on and I'm just seeing, you know, the, the, just the breathing coming out of the top of the mask, but the droplets are not going forward. And that's what we're trying yeah. to do. Exactly. And again, if we're not all wearing it perfectly, hopefully enough of us are and wearing it enough that you can um, slow down the spread because it's time. It's the viral load. Uh, you know, so it's it's a number of factors. You know, if you're just walking by somebody on the sidewalk and they don't have a mask on, most likely you would not pick up COVID from them because your your viral load would be so small if they had it. And and um, you know, it's quick pass. You know, but if you're sitting with somebody in a meeting, yes, you would hope that you would all be sitting at least six feet away and that you would have a mask on. And then if there was any leakage from your mask, you're probably far enough away that the viral load wouldn't happen. You're really seeing a significant difference between what you're able to accomplish in Erie County with a uh, Department of Health and your colleagues in uh, in other county leadership across the state that don't that have to rely on the state Department of Health to give them their numbers and their and their marching orders and so on, right? Exactly. Um, you know, I've talked to so many county commissioners in counties surrounding us and across the Commonwealth who don't have a health department. And I, I honestly feel for them. It's much harder for them to have a grasp on what's happening in their county and then to uh, get the compliance they need. People will come to Erie County and they'll say, wow, they feel so much safer here than they do in their own county. Or people from Erie County have gone to places south of us and they um, say it's much less, uh, there's much less compliance with the guidance going on there. But I think because of our health department, because of the work, particularly of uh, our environmental division, which became our enforcement division, and I always like to say they're really our educational division, they've worked partnership first with our businesses early on. They've worked really closely with our schools, um, whether it's the K through 12 or our universities. And now they're working with sports teams. And um, I told the gentleman I was talking about from the Wilderness Wildcat ski team to call the health department and they would work with him. And that's what they've been doing all along. And I think that's what's bought the buy-in from the businesses because we're a partner. We're not trying to penalize anybody. We're not trying to come down hard. We just want to be a partner and help them to do things right.
Speaking of partnerships, let's talk about partnership with uh, Governor Wolf and the, the Wolf administration in Harrisburg. Again, we've had some uh, touch-and-go uh, situation with them, especially when we were trying to get to the green. Um, uh, where, where are things at? Are, I think there's a, a, a still a strong sense that we could use a bit more leadership, especially when it comes to resources like testing and so on. Is that, uh, am I inaccurate in that assessment? No, I think all of us have always wanted more testing um, across the Commonwealth and across the country, um, honestly. But um, it's difficult, you know, and, and as difficult as it is for me with a county, I think about the governor and, the, and that Department of Health with the whole Commonwealth. And then when you take the disinvestment in public health that happened way before Governor Wolf and way before Secretary Levine, um, and the fact that only six counties and four cities have their own health department across the whole Commonwealth really shows that disinvestment. Uh, they've got a difficult job to do um, because they have to be the public health department local for all of those other counties. And um, so, yes, more testing would be great. I would love to see um, that happen more consistently um, in our county and across the Commonwealth. And I'd like to see it across the nation. That would help us immensely. Um, okay, so last week or so, you released a statement. Erie County has engaged a public relations firm with Erie Roots to work with local community groups in conducting a major study designed to determine how to best communicate COVID-19 related health and safety messages to underserved populations. And so talk about that. What what are you trying to accomplish? You talked a little bit about um you know, some of the, uh, you know, new Americans and so on. But you also said in your press conference, it could be other age groups like college students and, and other folks. Talk about this. So um, I'm going to kind of go back to one of your earlier questions where you said, you know, this has become a political is- issue and divisive, but we also wonder how much of it isn't just the way we communicate. Um, so we, we worked real hard when we saw cases rising in the inner city, particularly that 16503, uh, and we tried to target the populations who live there and, and find a way to message that would be um, that would be heard because we need people to hear the message and adhere hopefully to the guidance. So now we're, we're, we've hired this firm to help us because I really believe that we're still gonna be dealing with COVID-19 at a minimum till next summer. And um, it's not gonna be, we're not gonna turn off a switch and, and it's gonna be gone. It's gonna be a while. So how do we best communicate? So we are engaging schools, for example, because uh, I'm 62 and the way I get my communication is different than the way a 16 gets theirs. Sure. So how do we reach our schools? And we've got um, a number of schools who said that they would engage with us um, and have their students talk to this group. And, and we wanna hear how we would, uh, talk to them in a way that they would better understand. Um, the rural areas are, they just see things differently. They're not seeing the cases as maybe as prevalent. In fact, if you go on the cases by zip code, we have some, I think two or three zip codes in Erie County that have basically seen almost zero cases. Right. So how do we continue to speak to those people who maybe don't see the urgency as well as others? So there's a, a whole host of different uh, entities that this group's gonna reach out to. And, and then we'll craft the message that we hope best resonates with these different entities. So basically, is it, it's, a, it's a finding what the felt need is 
and then finding what the uh, the method of communication should be, and then kind of conducting that method. Is that? I mean, it's real. It's really no different than a political campaign for anybody who's run mm, for office. Sure. You know how do you how do you reach the seniors? How do you reach the the new voters? How do you reach you know different population segments? And it's different messaging um, for different age groups sometimes, for different ethnic groups, for different. Um, maybe geographic groups. You're begging me to go on a rabbit trail here. Are you uh, Are you getting ready for your re-election campaign, or are we thinking about the oh, governor? We're not going to talk about that. It's way too early. Let's, okay. get, let's get past November 3rd. There's way too many people running right now for me to even, <laughs> to even talk about. Start All right. that conversation. <laughs> All right. Well, you know the rumors out there that you're, you're running for governor. So uh, just – oh, yeah. I'm sure that's not – yeah, that was that was faint surprise. Anyway, let's keep moving here. <laughs> CARES Act, uh, how do you feel that – what did you have, like six or seven million to pass out? And how's that all going? Okay, so we got 24 – a little over 24 million total. Um, there is a, a fair amount of that money that's going to be used internally in the county for all the work that we're doing. Right. And then we um, were able to take millions of that and and give it out to – entities who really need help. So we had four basic, well, yes, at four different, we call them buckets, um, programs. So one was for our municipalities. Uh, we can reimburse all of our 38 municipalities for any COVID related expenses they have. We cannot do revenue replacement with that money. And, and we're really governed by the federal government and, and sure. what the law said about CARES. So uh, we were able to give away quite a bit of money already, but we're going to have another round for our municipalities. We had 17 who asked us for some funds. So why didn't uh, the uh, why didn't the other 20 ask or whatever? Um, either they had either they had so insignificant um, okay. COVID related expenses, or they just opted not to. Um, and again, we opened it up. You know, we we use the planning department to really reach out to them because they already have a very good relationship with all of those leaders in the municipalities. And we had 17 reply. But even those 17 are going to be able to come back to us. So let's just okay. say they had COVID related expenses in the next two months. They'll be able to come back and ask for a little bit more. So we'll be able to do that. You also have the it's small been, business, right? I yep, mean, small business. So we put out a call to small businesses, um, 100 employees or less. And uh, there was a grant program and the Erie County Redevelopment Authority um, basically administered that for us. Um, and I give them credit for early on, they came out with 0% uh, loans for businesses when no one was doing anything. This is way before CARES. So oh, wow. yeah. kudos to the Redevelopment Authority for trying to help businesses early on. So we were pleased. We were able to give about 180 small businesses uh, some funding and it ranged from um, I think $5,000 to $75,000. And it depended on, uh, we didn't go any more than 75,000, but it was 10% of their operating um, budget. And generally uh, those folks were, were deeply impacted by COVID specifically, like hairdressers and things like that, or, or yes. okay. Restaurants, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of the service industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we couldn't, we didn't have enough money to fund all of them that asked, but you know, we had a we had a, a number of businesses, not a huge number, but a, a decent percentage who actually didn't show any great loss that 2020 is going to be as good or maybe even better than 2019. So, you know, when you don't have enough money, you have to obviously prioritize those who are most in need. And then you had the nonprofits and people could get up to 100K. Didn't Site Center That's get nice that? Or, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't have the exact figures right. in front of me. I forgot what. 
but that will all be up on our website by the end of the month. Um, okay. All of the nonprofits, all the small businesses, they'll all be listed there. We want to be transparent about this money and who got what. Um, but uh, we yeah. actually have quite a few nonprofits. I think it was 104 um, who asked who asked for funding and got it. We had a few others who asked, but they weren't a 501c3. Mm. And the law said you had to be a 501c3 or a 501c19, I think it was. Okay. So if you're 501c4, you couldn't get the money, which is unfortunate um, because there, there are some, you know, some foundations and things that could have helped for that. I've got to take a, I've got to take a break. County executive. We're with Kathy Dahlkemper here. The last one was the PPE. And are those like kits that you guys made yeah. that, okay. Uh, we ordered uh, masks and gowns and yeah. gloves and hand sanitizer put together these kits and businesses that are high touch can apply for these. And we're giving out quite a few kits. I want to stay on CARES Act money because I want to pivot to the state uh, sending us money. You know, again, they've had multiple different uh, grant programs and so on. And, um, you know, we, you know, sometimes we have an inferiority complex here in Erie uh, about our fair share, but I did, I did the real numbers on just one of these grant programs right uh and it was the the arts uh and some of the uh the cultural assets like the zoo and so on and if you take the per capita income versus what they suppose they were giving out 20 million dollars we we got only about two-thirds of what we we would have quote deserved in that particular round and I don't know. Does that? Ha- it seems to me, and maybe it's a wrong narrative on my part, but it seems to me that we get less than we deserve oftentimes in these state grant programs, especially even during the CARES Act. Well, um, so remember, CARES is federal, right? Sure. So uh, I will tell you that some states, our neighboring state to New York, uh, to our east, New York State, gave their counties zero dollars. Um, we got twenty-four, over twenty-four million. Um, but the federal government made the decision that counties or cities of a population of 500,000 or more got direct money from the feds. And they got $179 per capita. New York state counties got zero. We got $90 per capita from our, so the, I'm talking about any county that's under 500,000. Under 500,000, yeah. And New York state got zero. And in our state, we got $90 per capita. So we basically got half of the amount that a county like Allegheny got. got. Now, I don't understand why. Uh, it's not that we don't know how to take care of money as well as Allegheny, um, but that's what's decided by the federal government, not the state. Um, we are glad that our state decided to actually expend and, and give money out to the counties directly. But uh, we have talked through our national association with the federal government that, that if they do any more stimulus like this that they should give the money directly to local government because again we can target that money and get it to the people who need it quickly as you see the state is still putting out more cares act money right even I got a notice today about another one that went out to the fire departments but gosh here we are in october and and still getting that money out the door and if we had gotten more we could have given more uh to the needy entities in our community yeah uh, how are you feeling economically i mean we still have a lot of businesses that are closed uh, mostly in the hospitality mind you molly brannigan's open today that's the big news today but i mean there you know we're still waiting on some of these uh some of these uh benchmark businesses to to reopen 
here. Um, and, and like you've been saying, many of them won't be, won't make it. I think we're going to unfortunately see more business closures before, you know, this is all said and done. The good news is our manufacturers all seem to be for the most part doing well and, and staying pretty strong or at least holding their own throughout this. And that's a big, still, still a big part of our economy. Absolutely. But when it comes to the hospitality industry, that's where the killer is, you know, um, you, you saw that, I mean, Waldemere, I mean, it doesn't matter who it was this summer, right? I mean, they they could not have as many people as they normally do into their facility, whether it be a restaurant or a place like Waldemere. Um, Sarah seemed to do really well. We all we all went and supported <laughs> yes. Sarah's yeah. time, but, um, and that's great. That's great. Uh, and I think our communities tried really hard to support. But as we go into winter, I know I'm not going into a restaurant to eat. Um, I liked it when I could sit outside, but it's very difficult for me to support by going in. So I'll have to, again, try to get takeout maybe once mm-hmm. a week and support a restaurant. Wow. Uh, let's, let's pivot. Let's go to the community college. Uh, they, they've picked their, you know, of course the, the trustees were picked uh, and you had uh, two excellent choices that you were able to choose. Uh, it seemed like uh, that was uh, that went pretty well. They chose their president, Rondi Nicola, uh, what is next for the trustees? What is next? Uh, what's the next news piece of news that you're looking for out of the Erie County Community College? Um, I'm looking for them to do the national search for the president of the college. Ronnie Nicola is the chairman of the board. Of oh, trustees, right. I'm sorry. You're right. But yes. Not the president of the school. Gotcha. And we need obviously somebody with a strong education um, foundation in higher ed to uh, to really lead this school. So um, my understanding is they're coming forward shortly with um, a national search. And I think that's going to be key because that person needs to come in, get their team in place and really start to make the, the big decisions that have to be made. What about facilities and location? Is, is that something that we need to be thinking that we're going to see soon? I don't believe so. I still think you need to get the president and their team in place and they should have a strong say in that facility. And, um, and, and, what do we need for potentially the fall of next year? You know, will we have enough students to even warrant a facility yet, or will it be another year and a half or two years from that? Again, I think you need that president in there to really determine that. Gotcha. All right. Let's talk about your budget. Uh, you came out with your budget uh, announcement uh, was a week and a half ago or so. Um, talk about the kind of the highlights. One, the big one is no new taxes. Yeah, so the county budget, uh, for those who don't know, is $484 million. It's a big budget. Um, Our general fund, which is what your county taxes pretty much fund, is about $110.5 million. And um, so, again, a lot of uh, money that we have to be good stewards of. We found ourselves in a very unique situation, as I think pretty much any local government is this year with the pandemic. Um, Some of our revenue is down. We don't know yet about the taxes because we gave everyone basically till the end of the year to have to pay them. There's no penalty for not paying prior to December. 31st. You're talking about real estate taxes at that point, yeah, right? But you know that your revenue is down because of the earned income tax? Uh, mostly the fees. We don't the get fees. You don't get tax. earned income tax. Okay, gotcha. But um, a lot of the fees that you would have normally expected to get um, over the year um, didn't come in. So we know that – you know, whether it be court fees or whether it be fees that restaurants and such pay or, you know, there's just numerous things that people pay fees for. Those di- those uh, are, are down. But again, we're actually in decent shape in terms of what we have received in real estate taxes. So I don't think that revenue is going to be terrible. 
But last year, um, I did ask for um, a small tax increase. I think it was a quarter of a mil, and, and council decided instead to take 3.4 million out of our general fund balance to balance the budget, as well as a one-time settlement that Pleasant Ridge Manor got for their pension plan. So basically, 4.4 million dollars. And I knew that that was right out of the gate going to put me in a bad place for the 2021 budget. And then when you come back with just the normal increase of business, right? We started um, in our first projections, $8 million in the hole for our budget for 2020. Oh my uh, my uh, departments and all the elected officials across the board did a phenomenal job. And we were able to bring that down by well over 4 million, that hole. Um, but what I decided is that we could not ask the taxpayers to foot a tax increase this year with everything that everyone has been facing, whether it be a business owner who has real estate or a homeowner. And so we have a very healthy um, fund balance and I give credit to county executives and councils and myself, my administration and, and those before us, the county has done a very good job of being good stewards of the money. And we have um, a very robust fund balance that is $22 million over what's required you need to have a two-month expenditure level uh, that's required. So we have, you know, a good fund balance. And so I am um, proposing that council do not put a tax increase in this year and use that fund balance to cover the, the difference. Are, are, are counties capped at what they're allowed to have in fund balances like school districts? I no, mean, is there not. a maximum or no? We're not, but, okay. you know. We do get sort of uh, sometimes our um, auditors saying your, your fund balance shouldn't be so big. Is that so, right? Wow. Okay. So again, using it this and, and one of the other things that happened with our fund balance is every we budget for full employment. Yeah. And then um, I'm very proud every year for the last like five or six years, we've actually returned more money each year consecutively back to the fund balance. So we're doing a really good job of keeping our expenses down during the year. And uh, last year we put back more than seven million. A big part of that was actually some of the savings that we saw on that radio project because that was already assigned, that fund balance, that was assigned from the fund balance. So that was able to come back in. So uh, because we've done so well, I felt comfortable using the fund balance this year. So uh, you're getting some criticism um, over the dipping into the cash reserves. Is that, is that, uh, do you think that's warranted criticism at all or no? Um you know, there's always going to be criticism. So you have to make the wise decisions you think are best for the community right now. And in my opinion, it's not a tax increase. And if anyone wants to look at the budget, it's on our website and there's really no fat. I mean, we have trimmed and trimmed and trimmed without doing layoffs. Um, There would be no other way to really trim the budget. Um, So I think we've done a good job. Let's look at some of the big chunks of what the county does. Okay. And one of this, one of these huge functions is I guess, for lack of better word, case management. Can you explain all that? Uh, What is it, OCY? I'm not really uh, totally understanding all of that, but uh, we have clients uh, that uh, that you manage, uh, and I'm sure that COVID is affecting them, right? Right. So case management is uh, pretty much in that Department of Human Services, uh, mostly in the Department of Office of Children and Youth. Uh, We have a very large department and much of that, well, it's all mandated. I shouldn't say much of it. It's all mandated by the state. Um, We've had to, ever since Sandusky, uh, Mm. you know, those laws changed in terms of child protection. And we have had to add a lot of staff and that's all been mandated by the state. 
they pay for 80%, we have to pay for 20% and we don't have a choice. Um, this year alone, um, 19 million dollars of um, the difference in the budget from this year from last year is attributable to those state mandated human service expenses. So we have those people, they are our employees, they are the case managers. When it comes to drug and alcohol um, and mental health and intellectual disabilities, we actually are the pass through and the case managers are in our many great um, service providers in our community, whether you know they're doing uh, drug and alcohol or mental health or intellectual disabilities. Wow. So, so, so all of that, all that money is flowing through the county and, you know, whether they're employed by the county or they're employed by private agencies. It's literally thousands and tens of thousands of people affected by this, right? Oh, yes, exactly. Like I said, we have a $484 million budget and your general fund is 110.5. So the rest of that money is state money, federal money that comes into the county sometimes to actually cover our employee well i mean a lot of it's covering our employees work but a lot of it we're passing then out we have a contract i sign contracts all the time you know with our different uh, partners out there in this community so uh, it's really feeding the economy of this region and obviously providing the services that are so needed uh, you know, be, be, regarding behavioral health, you mentioned at the news conference that you were seeing more intense cases of depression and self-harm. You, you put out that op-ed a couple weeks ago. Can you explain, go a little bit deeper on that? So we're, we are seeing not a huge increase in the numbers of people affected, but what we're seeing is that people that are in those systems and getting the help are having more um, severe issues. So uh, maybe before they didn't need to be hospitalized. Now they have to be hospitalized for an episode they might be having, and let's just say mental health or drug uh, addiction. And so that's what we're seeing is uh, is that severity of, and even with our Office of Children and Youth, the children they're going out to see, uh, the abuse is at a greater degree than what they have seen in the past. That's really so tragic. That is, you know. This COVID-19 is hitting us all. I mean, I think for those of us who've never been officially diagnosed with any kind of um, mental health issue, there's no, I don't think there's a single one of us who hasn't felt some stress, some anxiety, some fear, some um, just a huge concern over where this is all going. And, and so uh, you can only imagine a person who really has struggles with handling these type of things on a normal, in a normal time is struggling even more right now. Makes sense. Another big chunk is prison it's uh, the criminal justice system uh we never talk about the prison but maybe you can give us some uh, enlightenment on on how expensive that is what that's all about and how it's all going uh as you go into 2021 so it's important to know that you know the federal government and the state government do not support uh your jail so your jail your county jail is 100 percent paid for by the taxpayers of the county wow we averaged um, from the time I took office until basically we got hit so hard with COVID, we averaged about 650 um, inmates a day. Uh, so it's, That's like it's a daily about, census is what you're talking about. That's the daily census of the number of people in um, the Erie County prison that's over at 18th and Ash. Wow. Um, so, of course, there's a large staff that has to uh, guard those prisoners and, and take care of all the other needs within that. And um, of the uh, budgeted corrections expenditures, it's $30.5 million. Wow. And of that, 66% of that is the prison operation 
and 11 and a half of that is juvenile probation and 22 and a half is adult probation. So that is a big chunk of money um, that we spend on corrections. Um, I was so grateful to the courts and to probation. They got the population in the prison down to close to 400 people. That was about a 250 person drop for a long time. We stayed, we hovered in the low 400s. Um, unfortunately, it's back up to about 550 now. And, um, but I have to say Kevin Sutter, the warden and his team have done a really great job. Everybody who comes into the prison is actually quarantined. So when it comes to COVID-19, they're doing a lot to try to control and we've had no outbreaks in the jail at all. And so um, that's, a, that's obviously really good because we've seen obviously that different, differently in other parts of the country. And just like a nursing home and just like a dorm and you put people together, you know, yeah. the chances of that COVID is spreading becomes an issue. So I give kudos. Um, it's a very difficult place to work, as you can only imagine. And uh, I think that our corrections officers uh, led by Warren Sutter do a, do a very good job. Uh, another another big issue that the county deals with, especially this year, it's going to be a very challenging election for the election office. From your perspective, and we've talked to Doug Smith, he seems like he's ready to, to go and, and his team is there. But from the county executive uh, perspective, what do you see? What are some of the what are some of the challenges that you're you're looking at and how are we mitigating those? Well, obviously, this is going to be one of the most contentious elections we've seen in a long time. I mean, I mean, we're talking about maybe NBC News having a camera on our counters, you know, on our canvassers. Exactly. I mean, they're going to be here. I'm sure of it. We are one of the 10 bellwether counties. And now we've um, got, you know, um, no excuse mail-in voting, which is great, I think. Yeah. I actually put my ballot in the box today. Um but uh, this is obviously they had the primary to get ready for this. But this is our first general election where we will see so many mail-in ballots. And if we can't start the process a few days early, it's going to be days, I think, before they all get counted. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know. I was just standing there ready to put my mail in today and I saw four people in front of me go with their ballots. So I think it's uh, very popular to um you know, do your mail-in ballot right now. And I think it's actually a good thing because of COVID-19. Um, if nothing else, you know, you don't need to be in the polling place and you can do it by mail, but it would be nice if we could uh, start not counting, but, you know, uh, removing the outside envelope and getting ready to count those. I, I have to go to my polling place on, on Erie's east side because, you know, the ladies fawn over me so that, you know. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I, I can't, you know, it's a little dopamine hit for me. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, well, you know, I, I saw yeah. this great story today about how young people are mm. offering to come in and be poll workers. I saw that too. Yeah. There are, we have a lot of seniors who are afraid to be poll workers right now, and, and rightfully so. They're more at risk for COVID 19. But back to that, we are making sure that the elections office has everything they need to keep the poll workers Good. safe and to keep the voters safe. So, it is going to be safe. And even Dr. Howard Nadmerney, who's been on with me many times, um, throughout this pandemic, he's been working with the elections office, telling them what they need to do. He says, we can do this safely with COVID-19. We can vote safely. Um, if you want to go to your polling place, know that all precautions are going to be taken and you will be safe. Last question for the county executive. Um, so you mentioned what you're going to, your plans are for the holidays, but what do you see from a community wide standpoint? And what does Erie look like this year at the holidays? 
Oh gosh, I think it's just a much quieter stay at home holiday, maybe sort of that old fashioned, you know, be at home, enjoy your family and your loved ones there. Um, but it won't be ho the hustle and bustle, which actually may be a good thing. Um, you know, we're just going to see that people are going to be, let, there are going to be the holiday parties, hopefully. Um, I'm going to say hopefully, because people may decide to have the big holiday party, but to me, getting in a large crowd of people is, is not wise to do. I love the idea of lights at Presque Isle. Uh, this could become an annual tradition, which would be lovely, but this year, driving around our beautiful state park and being able to see lights, great idea. Uh, hopefully other places will decide to do something like that that's very much uh, safe, but also get you in the holiday spirit. Terrific. County Executive Kathy Del Kemper, thank you for your generosity of, of time as usual and, and your candor. We really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Just stay safe out there and uh, we'll get through this together. I know we will. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>